Welcome back to the audio commentary to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I'm the author, Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi, and this is the final conclusion to the audio portion. This is part G, and if you haven't listened to the previous parts, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. This last section should probably be about 40 minutes long, okay? Let's talk about the conclusions to everything we've been talking about. This last section is entitled Conclusions, and it'll actually be broken down into three parts. 13.1, I'm going to talk about the Messianic symbolism of Yom Kippur. I'm going to speak as a Jewish person, uh, particularly maybe to Christians, non-Jews, people who... um, are maybe a little unfamiliar or maybe just a little um, hesitant to jump fully into keeping the festivals, particularly Yom Kippur. It can have some pretty serious um, themes associated with it, and if you're unfamiliar with some of this, then uh, it's natural that you're going to have some apprehension. 13.2, I want to talk about introspection. What does it look like on the inside of our hearts, and why does Yom Kippur play such an important part? as we um, come before God and do self-examination. And then finally, in 13.3, I want to talk about intercession, because that, in fact, is an important central theme of this time of year, Yom Kippur. Okay? As I mentioned earlier, the thrust of this week's commentary, in the form of an apologetic, like we went through in those sections, has been presented in an effort to educate the two camps, both Jews and Gentile Christians. Many, messi- many Messianics, as well as non-Messianic Jews, still actually struggle with the intended meaning of, quote-unquote, what it means to be a new creation in Messiah, walking out his Torah in our lives. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I am uniquely positioned as a teacher uh, to receive um, insights that I am obligated to share with those around me, if you understand my my calling there. Um, Anyone in a position of leadership is in a position to receive insight from God's Spirit and from God's Word, unique to the point that this makes him a leader in his community. What's his responsibility then? To share it with whomever God instructs him to share it with. It could be one person, could be a, you know, could be a small Bible group. It doesn't make a difference. Many, many Gentile Christians also struggle with this issue as well. Uh, by default, we've got Messianic Jews and Messianic Christians, or Gentile Christians. Um... I differentiate Messianic Christians from Gentile Christians in the sense that Messianic ones, the term Messianic, the adjective there, seems to um, seems to indicate those who have a, an, an, how should I say, an orientation towards things Hebraic versus your garden variety Christian who is in fact saved but has not made the decision to embrace his Hebraic roots. We are both precious in God's sight. Don't get me wrong. We are all believers if we have placed our genuine faith in Yeshua. However, some of us, again, are embracing a Hebraic lifestyle, and some of us have not chosen to embrace an Hebraic lifestyle. And that's, I guess, the only difference I can make between the two at the moment. By default, however, the world around us, they don't struggle with any of these issues, you know, with what it means to be a new creation of Messiah. Obviously, why not? Because they've not accepted Hashem on his grounds in the first place. So they're outside of this pale. Let's talk about the symbolism in in uh, Yom Kippur, specifically from a Messianic point of view. And hopefully, again, this will be an appeal to those of you who are listening, who are a little 
new to things messianic and Yom Kippur might be maybe an introduction to your Hebraic lifestyle, uh, let me just speak to you heart to heart from a Jew to a Christian, okay? The high priest, as we already knew, had to enter every year with a new sacrifice year after year, right? The sacrifice of Yeshua, by comparison, a high priest forever, is good forever, he entered in once and for all. You can compare Hebrews 5, verse 6. We've already talked about how that this doesn't mean that the animal sacrifices were um, defective in some way. They had a special role and a function. And for the priest to go in year after year was exactly how God designed the animal sacrifices. They never were designed to compete with Yeshua's once and for all sacrifice. They worked in tandem. They worked complementary to one another. It's good versus better. I shouldn't even use the word versus there, but good compared to better. Not bad compared to good. The animal sacrifices were not bad while the sacrifice of Yeshua was good. Instead, the Bible portrays the animal sacrifices as being good, but it portrays the sacrifice of Yeshua as being better. Let's continue with our comparison. The old high priest, and again I use the word old there because he's a man. He aged, and in his aging he eventually died. Okay, The old high priest entered a symbolic holy of holies, the one on earth made with human hands. It's symbolic because it was a shadow of the genuine copy in the heavenlies. Yeshua entered this genuine, real holy of holies in the, in, you know, the very throne of God in heaven. Again, read Hebrews 9.11. The, the way to understand, or the key to understanding the book of Hebrews, is to understand this comparison that I'm giving to you. We all have good, and we all have better. You ever have a good day? Yeah. Good days. And then did you ever have a better day? A better day? Not a bad day. A better day? You get my point? We have good days and we have better days. The better days don't make the good days bad. They just help us understand that, that there's good and there's better. Please understand that's how the sacrifices work. The sacrifices were good. The temple was good. The temple cult was good. The priests were good. And everything that they did for God was good. It was obviously good because it's what God commanded Moshe to build and he commanded the people to participate in. So it was obviously good. It was not defective. It was not. It was not bad. It was not. Um, it, it was not uh, evil in any way. Please don't look down on the animal sacrifices and the temple and all of that went on there. The Book of Hebrews describes the system on earth as good, but it compares it to the system in heaven and and it uh, classifies the system in heaven as better good and better. They work together. They do not compete with one another. Okay, The scapegoat on earth carried away the sins of the people. That's what it was designed to do. It carried away the sins in the flesh. In Yeshua, all our sins are carried away as far as the east is from the west. You can look up Psalm 103 verse 12. Again, good and better. Once all the expiatory sacrifices, expiatory is just sin forgiving, um, once they were all done, the priest on earth put away his priestly robes again. I'm sorry, he put back on his priestly robes. Um, he actually changed into a, a different set of clothing when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year. And once he came out, he put back on his priestly robes, ones that the people were used to seeing. My point is that when he went into the Holy of Holies every time, he was he wore a unique garment that, that no one else saw. And then when he came out of the holy place... Where, where there was no one else seeing him, he had changed back into his priestly robes again. By comparison, when Yeshua had accomplished his sacrificial mission, he put back on his glory 
on his divinity when he entered back into heaven. His his body had already changed, and when he sat down at the right hand of God, it was not the same body that he had been given when he walked on earth for 33 or so years. He had his glory returned to him, the glory that he had set aside so he could come to earth and minister to us. When the priest on earth returned from the tabernacle, and again, Yeshua will return from heaven one day, right? But when the priest returned um, from the tabernacle in heaven, he continued or finished up the festal festival sacrifice, okay? The Yom Kippur sacrifices came to a close um, after he finished all that God had commanded him to do. By comparison, again, when Yeshua returns to earth, because he went from earth to heaven, and then he's going to come back to earth one day. And when he does, it will be for the full and final redemption of his people, Israel. You can reference Ezekiel 16.63. Okay? These are important details to remember as we participate in Yom Kippur this year. Perhaps this will be your first time participating as a Christian. Perhaps you're a seasoned veteran. Perhaps you were raised in a Jewish home. Perhaps you were not. We all come from different backgrounds. Now, I'm Jewish, and Yom Kippur is a part of my heritage. I've been walking in my Judaism as a Balchuva for about 20 years or so. I was not raised Jewish. Like Moshe, I was raised in a non-Jewish home. But... I came to embrace my Judaic heritage around age 20. I'm around 40 now. And I embraced Messiah fully as I stepped into a more biblically acceptable lifestyle. Okay, I began to grow more in my faith and, and my knowledge of, of things biblical and of things related to Yeshua. Let me say an encouraging word to my fellow Messianic Jews in hopes of also encouraging my fellow Gentile believers in Messiah, okay? Let me just speak to you from my heart. The beauty of Messianic Judaism, in case you're wondering, many of you are probably asking, what's the big deal? Why do I have to embrace a Hebraic lifestyle? Why do, Why are the Messianics so, so um, intently interested in teaching, as it were, the, the Christian church that they need to embrace the Torah as a lifestyle, okay? What's so important about the life that... that that we Messianic Jews lead, that uh, seems important enough for Messianics to go on, uh, you know, this lifelong mission to try and convince their Christian counterparts that faith in Jesus is not enough, but rather embracing the Torah is also um, desired by God. What is it about Messianic Judaism? Well, in my opinion, the beauty of our lifestyle as Messianic Jews is the fact that when one accepts Yeshua and we're born Jewish, well, then first of all, we stay fully and completely a Jew. That's important because within Jewish camps, much of the um, the uh, aversion to believing in Yeshua is this supposed notion that once a Jew accepts Jesus, he has to leave his Judaism behind, his Yiddishkeit, and join the Gentile Christian church, start eating ham, shrimp, everything else that the Bible forbids, start uh, embracing Christmas and Easter and all the other holidays that were not written down in the Levitical Code of, 20, of chapter 23, and, and in a word, join a foreign religion. And many Jews aren't ready, aren't willing to do that. Therefore, um, the whole Jesus package gets rejected. You see, we must understand that once you become a believer in Yeshua, if you're already Jewish, you don't convert to another religion or become something that you're not. You don't become a Christian in the full sense of the word. Rather, the richness and the fullness of your Jewish heritage is incorporated with your faith in Messiah. It's been said that being a Messianic Jew is not the only way to be Jewish, but it's certainly the most enjoyable way to be Jewish. 
You see, um, Jewishness was meant to be preserved among the nations. God gave us a heritage, we Jews, and he gave us a lifestyle that the Torah helps for us to maintain. This, of course, becomes evident, extremely evident, I should say, during the cycles of the feasts. In other words, the Jewish holidays. You know what I mean by that? The term Jewish there, when attached to the word holidays, merely seeks to um, indicate that they are the holidays that God owns, but that the Jewish people, um, how do I say, we govern, well, we don't necessarily govern them. We, um, We administer them. God gave them to us so that we could take care of them and preserve them um, throughout the earth, of course, with God's help. But they do belong to God. We simply um, are the caretakers of them. What better way to live and celebrate as a Messianic Jew than to observe the same feasts and holidays just like Yeshua, right? Jesus was a Jew. His heritage was Jewish. The things that he did were biblical, and they were also Jewish. And they work in tandem. The things that are biblical are the things that are Jewish. And the things that are Jewish quite often are the things that are biblical. I'm not saying that everything that Jews do is right. But everything that Yeshua did was right. You get my point? And if I can imitate Messiah, even down to the festivals that he walked into, which of course come straight from the Torah, then I am doing well. Yeshua was and is an observant Jew who fasted on Yom Kippur. Okay, and we're going to talk about the fast question in this section on um, uh, during uh, 13.3 intercession. Because many Messianics, or many Christians ask, well, you know, why should I even fast at all? Jesus is my atonement, and I don't need to fast. But we're going to talk about that later on. In other words, Yeshua was an observant Jew. He fasted on Yom Kippur, he ate matzah on Pesach, and he tabernacled during Sukkot, during the Feast of Booths. Okay? You get my point? To imitate the Master is to do it right. You cannot go wrong imitating the Master. As a Jew, Yeshua also kept the Sabbath, the Shabbat. Shabbat is the center of Messianic Jewish life. It's, it's one of the hallmarks of being a Jew, keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, and not opting for a new worship day such as Sunday. You know, it's on this day that we go to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's the day we take as a day of rest from work and worry. It's a time of prayer, and it's a time of worship. And all of these themes are, in fact, preserved within the Bible themselves uh, itself. So we're, we're on the right path when we do these things. When God says, keep my ways, walk in my ways, imitate my son. This is the way we imitate the master. If the goal of any serious Messianic Jew is to live a godly life as Yeshua did, well, I can tell you what, keeping Shabbat in the feasts is a good way to start. However, having said all that, many Messianic Jews are not sure what to do with regards to Yom Kippur. They really do have a lot of questions because of their... Um, Christian counterparts and the influences that the church has on their lives, even as Messianic Jews. Traditionally, those of us with the Jewish background, again, I was not one of them, um, but those of us who do have Jewish back- backgrounds and were raised to believe that on on this day, that, that we atone for our sins against God through prayer and fasting, um, that's why there are problems with Yom Kippur for some of us Messianic Jews. However, since the Lord has revealed to us now that Yeshua was and is the atonement for our sins, What is the purpose for observing Yom Kippur, many of us may ask? Well, let me just say it this way. Yom Kippur is a high holy day that reminds us that we are still indeed Jews. And, which brings us closer together in that way. You understand that? 
We Jews are drawn together as we walk into the festivals that God gave to our people as a living and ongoing heritage. It is a way for us to continue, continually and viably live out our faith in God. It is a solemn holy day of prayer. Of course, prayer being a central aspect of Messianic Judaism as well. Prayer is central. Once you come to faith in Yeshua, we don't give up prayer. It's central in Judaism. So why not be central in Messianic Judaism? Fasting, I might add, is an excellent way to get closer to God. Yo, yo, yeah. Fasting is biblical. It's not something invented by the rabbis. Many prayer warriors, both Jews and Gentiles, who are speaking to God about serious issues, will sometimes not even just fast for one day. I myself have extended my own fast. I've not fasted just for one day. And and also I've extended my fast beyond food. Okay, Many people who are serious about meeting with God will take a day or two to fast and pray, or even more. It's not unusual to find prayer warriors who fast for a week or several weeks. Some people are able to fast for over a month. I, I don't know if I've done a, a fast of that type. Certainly... Uh, not a full-blown, without water and without food fast, a complete and total fast. Maybe like a juice fast or a vegetable fast um, or fasting from certain, um, uh, uh, what do we say, um, extracurricular activities, you know, fasting from TV or radio or Internet or, or things like that. There are many ways to fast is what I'm talking about. And you can certainly talk to your pastor or your Messianic rabbi, your congregational leader, about details concerning what fasts might you engage in if you have questions, okay? Anything, here's my point, anything that brings us closer to God is definitely positive. And something that also affirms our Jewish identity as Jews is even more important. God doesn't want us to lose our Jewish identity as Jews. God created us as Jews. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. And he still is a Jew. And therefore we Jews should should be proud of being Jewish. There's nothing wrong with not being a Jew either. God created Jews and Gentiles equally. We all have responsibilities. God created us as Jews and he wants us to continue to act and live as Jews. It's wrong for Christians to try and get us to give up our Jewishness in favor of quote-unquote um, Christian lifestyle. It's wrong. We were born Jews, we should live as Jews, and we'll die as Jews. Okay? Jesus did all of these things. He was born a Jew, he lived as a Jew, he died as a Jew, he resurrected as a Jew, and now he sits on the right hand of the Father. But you know what? He's still Jewish. This is one of the ways that we Messianics can remain a light among the nations. God gave us specific instructions. He told us to take his truth to the surrounding nations. Jesus also gave us the commission in Matthew chapter 5 to be a light to the nations, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Hide our lights under a bushel. The old familiar song says, no. Hide my light under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. The feasts of the Lord provide obvious and familiar opportunities to rejoice in our messianic faith as Jews and Gentiles while continuing to be, for us, as Jewish as ever. You, you, you understanding what I'm talking about here? Let's move on now to my next section, 13.2, introspection, okay? In addition to identifying with our people as Jews, we need one another. Oh yeah, we do. More intimate reason. Um, well, let me say it this way. It's important that we identify as Jews and it's important that we look out for one another, okay? Um, but... We need a more intimate reason for what we do. 
It's not just external. It's not just so that we can preserve our Jewish identity, um, so that we can, you know, continue to eat uh, 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 kosher food, continue to wear tzitzit, continue to wear kippot, so that people can know that we're Jews. It's a little deeper than that. It's not just external. We need something internal. Okay, let's look in the inside. Yom Kippur is a good occasion to look inside and to take spiritual inventory. We all need to do house cleaning. And that means spiritual house cleaning. With its central themes of sin, atonement, and forgiveness, then the holiday naturally lends itself to this kind of spiritual introspection. God designed it that way. Though we are made righteous in Messiah, don't get me wrong, okay? We cannot complete on that aspect anything that the Messiah has done for us. We are as righteous as we're ever going to be forensically. Yet, at the same time, we still sin. We're told to flee from sin and pursue righteousness. You know, um, the book of John bluntly reminds us, quote, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's 1 John 1.8. So even though we're in Messiah, our bodies still house sin until the day that he's going to change us. And so because we have sin, we are going to need constant maintenance, constant cleaning, constant uh, um, introspection. Yom Kippur is designed to help us focus on the need to confess sin and receive God's forgiveness on a daily basis. But the difference is we come to God knowing that we are forgiven because in Messiah, he has already promised that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we come to God, there's no... um, There's no trepidation. There's no fear of being rejected. In Messiah, the promises are yes and amen. And there is acceptance. Yom Kippur is not only tailor-made to promote our witness to others, as it gives occasion to discuss these spiritual, spiritual issues, like I'm doing now, but Yom Kippur is also a holiday for us to take stock of our own lives before God. The litany of sins that we confess, for instance, in the Alchet, the uh, the liturgy where we talk about I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, and there's a long list of the things that we do. The vidui, the confessional prayer that we pray during Yom Kippur, it acts as a mirror so that we can see ourselves honestly. Prayer is a vehicle so that we can come clean with ourselves, where we confess our sins to God. God already knows, but we need to hear it. It's for Ariel that I confess these sins so that Ariel can take spiritual inventory and so that Ariel can allow God's spirit to move into those areas where even I don't know sin resides. Oh yeah, house cleaning can be painful sometimes. Nevertheless, I, I need to warn you, those of you who are Christians and are a little new to this, if you attend traditional Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur services, I need you to stay alert because as you progress through the liturgy, the system that traditional Judaism has built to address the reality of sin and the need for forgiveness is not altogether theologically consistent with our faith in Messiah. Okay, We, as Messianic Jews, this is where we differ from our, our traditional Jewish counterparts, we don't believe that three books are open at Rosh Hashanah and that we have ten days to make everything right before the books are closed and our fate is sealed. Okay, The themes are biblical, but they don't seem to be Um, confined to the time frame that we're talking about now. Every day is the moment of salvation that God is offering for us. So you don't have to wait till Yom Kippur to confess your sins. You can confess your sins any time of the year. And God is as close as your penitent heart. We do not believe as Messianic Jews that repentance, prayer, and charity, or good deeds, 
can secure God's forgiveness for sin. We talked about that in our apologetic section. So if you're listening to my commentary today, and if you're Jewish, and um, you join our non-Messianic brethren in prayer, that is to say you attend a traditional synagogue, I don't have anything wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But um, consider remaining silent during the prayers that contradict your faith. Don't speak those prayers that are contradictory to the things that Yeshua has already done for you. There's nothing wrong with attending non-Messianic synagogue and praying these prayers to an extent. You understand some of it's just simply to retain your spiritual integrity. Um, you shouldn't say things confessionary-wise, you know, in a confession-type way, that are contrary to your faith. Don't pray a prayer that says, for instance, when I use the Siddur every day, um, during my Shakari prayer time, there's a prayer that says, I thank God that I was not born a Gentile. You know what? I don't say that prayer. I skip it. And during the Amidah, the Shemona Esra, the 18 benedictions... There's a 19th one that's been added, the prayer against the sectarians, the Minim. And I don't pray that one either. I consider that those prayers are contrary to my well-being as a Messianic Jew. And so I encourage you to also take a stand for what's right and don't say those things. Just, just be silent, okay? This is no different than what your family members would do if they were to attend a church service. Um, you know, let's say you... Uh, you're Jewish and you're the only one Messianic in your family and you have you bring your family with you to say church and uh, you know we'll start praying prayers to Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus you, I, you can bet they probably won't say anything okay that's okay just don't say it if you don't mean it having said that however I believe that most of the traditional Yom Kippur prayers are fine for us and we can we can even fully take part in them Messianic or not of course most Messianic congregations actually solve this problem for us Messianic Jews by actually modifying or even eliminating some of the traditional prayers that make the entire worship service consistent. Um, in other words, they actually seek to make it consistent for our faith in Yeshua. So oftentimes the Messianic um, pastor or the Messianic rabbi will um, actually alter the prayer service anyway. Um, it's powerful to remember, people, just listen up. It's powerful to remember, especially on Yom Kippur, that First John 1, 9 passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lastly, 13.3, let's talk about intercession, okay? One of the most central features of Yom Kippur is the denying of ourselves, which Judaism has now come to recognize is the fasting. You know, at its core, fasting, which is a denying of something that is either pleasurable to us or essential to us, like, such as food, water, um, uh, extracurricular activities, uh, even sex itself can be abstained from during special times. At its core, fasting is seen as fulfilling the biblical commandment to deny ourselves or afflict your souls. Uh, you remember Leviticus 23-27 says, afflict your souls this day. The fast itself enables us to put aside our physical desire and concentrate on our spiritual needs. We have two men that, 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 are, that we need to constantly be aware of. There's our spiritual man and there's our fleshly man. Okay, Even in Messiah, we still have the flesh. And so fasting is, you could say, starving the flesh in order to feed the spirit. Okay, That's what fasting does. In Nehemiah, fasting is used to deeply express the people's repentance. Look up Nehemiah 
Later on, God speaks to the prophet Joel and declares, quote, Even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, end quote. That's Joel 2.12. In other instances, in the Bible, we also see that fasting is a means of actually intensifying prayer in the face of dire need. In fact, this was often true when the enemies of Israel came out against our people. You can look up Esther 4.3 where um, the queen called a fast for three days. You can look up Second Chronicles uh, 20 verse 3 where a fast was declared. Um, you know, when survival is on the line, God's people pray. That's a good thing. But sometimes people are asked to fast as well. So it is on Yom Kippur when it is believed that our individual fate hangs in the balance. Now, don't get me wrong, that's the theme of Yom Kippur, is that our individual fate as a corporate people hangs in the balance. In Messiah, our fate has already been sealed, and it's a good sealing. We have already been sealed for a good year in Messiah, but still the theme is accurate. And so fasting is appropriate. As believers, we can certainly fast as an expression of repentance and as an intensification of prayer. Oh yes, fasting is appropriate during this time. But there's another reason to fast on Yom Kippur, besides the fact that it's commanded, all right? And that reason is intercession. It's not all about me. I need to understand that according to the Judaic principle of Arvus, every Jew is responsible for one another. Okay? I need to be looking out for my fellow brother, my fellow Jew, my fellow believer in Yeshua. Actually, I need to be looking out for everyone. But even more so, those of the household of faith. Are you following me? Intercession is when I stop looking at my own problems and I start looking at the the needs of my brother, the needs of my, my sister in Yeshua. When I say, God, please, for their sake, won't you intercede for them? Won't you bless them? Won't you... Won't you um, uh, uh, restore them? Won't you forgive them? Intercession is a powerful weapon in the hands of a spiritually attuned person, someone who is, who is aware of the spiritual needs of the community. Intercession is commanded, people. And so fasting can also be a means of, of, of interceding for other people. Perhaps I don't have many needs this time of year. Another time of year I may have lots of needs. But intercession is always going to be necessary um, during during this time of year. So if you're not going to fast for yourself, fast for someone else. Ask the Spirit of God to break your heart for someone else. Okay? When in fact, let's give some examples, all right? When Ezra wanted to pray for the people leaving Babylon, what did he do? Read Ezra eight twenty one. He called a fast. That's right. Was he praying for himself? No. He was praying for the people leaving Babylon. When Esther, uh, I already mentioned her, but when Esther was about to take a big risk, what did she do? She asked the community to pray for her, but also she asked them to fast. You remember? She asked them to fast. Esther 4.16 is the reference there. And then finally, one of my favorite examples that the rabbis recognize as an important chapter, especially during Yom Kippur, it's actually part of the Yom Kippur liturgy, is Daniel chapter 9. That entire chapter is seen as a Yom Kippur prayer. What was Daniel doing? He was fasting as he prayed on behalf of the exiled Jewish nation. That's right. Fasting can be done for the sake of intercession. So don't tell me that fasting is not important. 
Yom Kippur is a fitting time to intercede on behalf of our Jewish families and friends who don't know the Messiah and the atonement that he has accomplished this year. In fact, I am also fasting, not just for Ariel, but I'm fasting for the salvation of Israel. And in particular, I have some friends and some acquaintances who are Jewish who don't know Yeshua that I am praying for this year. Oh God, please reveal yourself to them this year. Soften their heart. Write your spirit on their heart. Introduce them to Yeshua. Cause them to surrender to your ways. This is my prayer this year. Our fast can be a time of intensifying and deepening our prayers for others, people. As weeks, months, and years go by, we need help and encouragement to continue praying for those who haven't shown positive interest in the gospel. This is, a, this is a principle that we Christians need to, to learn as well. It's not just a Jewish thing to pray and fast, I'm sorry. It's not just a Jewish thing to fast. So Yom Kippur is an appropriate time not just to pray, but to fast. Yom Kippur can provide the boost, as it were, that we need sometimes to intercede for our families and friends. Yom Kippur is a corporate gathering, and sometimes those of us who are less disciplined need those corporate times where we can, again, join with others like-minded in praying and fasting. As believers in Yeshua, those who know the joy of salvation, many of us approach Yom Kippur with mixed emotions because we've got a solemn fast day, but because we believe in Yeshua, we rejoice Also, whenever Yom Kippur falls on a Sabbath, like it's doing in the year 2007, the Sabbath is typified by joy. But Yom Kippur is typified by solemnity, by by our, our somber moods. And so there's some mixed emotions going on. The question is asked, do we rejoice, knowing that to be uncharacteristic for the holiday? You know, do we rejoice on Yom Kippur? Because that is uncharacteristic. Yet, in keeping with our faith and an experience... Do we, do we wear a sad face? Do we, do we keep silent and very introspective? What do we do as Messianic Jews? Sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Do we take this day to examine our lives and confess our own sins to God? Without a doubt, there's room for both, in my opinion. We need to be aware of the joy that we experience in Yeshua coupled with the seriousness of this time of year where God says, I want you to fast and pray. A framework of identification, um, introspection, and intercession provides plenty of occasions to repent and rejoice and to remember what is important. Yom Kippur is a holy day that allows us to come to God and express what is on our hearts. May God be with you as you use the occasion to his glory. Let me just draw this commentary to a close with this final paragraph at the top of page 25 of my notes, okay? While my heart does reach out to non-Jewish believers with these important instructions concerning Torah Hashem, in other words, Christians, it is my desire to make a heartfelt plea to the Jewish community to consider accepting Hashem on his terms alone. You know what I mean? This is our second lesson in Torah logic. All right, here it goes. Quote, If Hashem has renewed the terms of his, origin, of, of his original covenant, we as partners must agree with his improved establishment, especially since it was faithlessness on our part that necessitated the renewal. 
Apart from being superior to the sacrificial system because of its lasting impact, I must teach the Jewish people today that Yeshua's atonement also brought about the power to maintain a change of heart. And that's because of the down payment of the Holy Spirit that he promised. To be sure, the famous passage quoted from Jeremiah contains in it a promise from Hashem to do what? To put the Torah in the inward parts of the people, in essence, on the heart. What this means is a change in the spiritual makeup of the individual, a softened heart, a circumcised heart, a change that transforms the sinner into the status of righteous heir. And now, because of Yeshua's death, Hashem no longer considers death as our wage. Read Romans 8, verse 1. In fact, even if not corporately, because the Jeremiah passage is a corporate verse, speaking of corporate Israel, on the day that they corporately accept Yeshua, even if not corporately, each individual Jewish person can now proclaim, quote, our Yom Kippur has come. Our final day of atonement has already arrived. Our effectual sacrifice has been offered once and for all. Amen. Amen. Well, that concludes our study to Yom Kippur. It's been a very long study. I appreciate your patience. While well, we work through 25 pages in the written notes, and A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, seven parts in the uh, audio notes. If you like further study, as if you didn't get enough from my own commentary, I recommend you read Leviticus chapters 16 and 17, Numbers 29, 7 through 11, Isaiah 57, 14 through chapter 58, verse 14, Jonah chapter 1 through 4, Micah chapter 7, verse 18 through 20, Romans 3, 21 through 26, and then Hebrews chapter 7 through 10. Of course, that's just a smattering of verses. There's so much more that can be studied, but it's my desire that Yom Kippur would become an important part of your daily, monthly, and yearly walk with Messiah Yeshua. And with that, I wish you a shalom, shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at Hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at Hotmail.com. Or visit our website at GraftedIn.com. That's GraftedIn.com.